0: From KQED. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim, a more than $200 million effort by Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and Instacart to keep their app based drivers as contractors paid off. California voters have decisively backed Proposition 22, exempting the companies from treating their drivers as employees with benefits and protections under state law. Its passage is a major defeat for organized labor, as they fear the model will be used by gig companies nationwide to get around their state's labor laws. Joining us now is Sam Harnett, Silicon Valley reporter for KQED. Hey, Sam. Hello, Mina. Also with us is Ellen Hewitt, startups reporter for Bloomberg. Thanks so much for joining us, Ellen Hewitt. Hi. So I'll start with you, Ellen. I mean Proposition 22 it not only exempts this powerful group of app-based gig companies from having to classify their contractors as employees, but it does give them some benefits, that their drivers some new benefits. Can you describe what those are?
1: Yeah, there are some benefits including um sort of a guaranteed earnings, um, and then also what they call a healthcare care stipend. Um, but I think one important thing to note, these benefits, you know, they are a step beyond what drivers were getting before. And that's part of what the companies were putting forward as like, you know, this is the new model of extra benefits for these people who remain contractors. But at the same time, these, um, these benefits are tied to the number of hours that these workers um, spend working on the platform. And that number of hours actually is just what they call engaged time, which is like when the worker has a job assigned to them. So it's not counting the hours that many of these workers spend waiting in their cars for a ping, waiting for a job that they can pick up, or for example, driving to a more lucrative um, area of the region in order to, to get um, jobs in that area. So that, that was a sticking point as well. So th- there are some benefits um But they are tied in a different way to the hourly count than um, one might think of as like hours spent on the job.
0: So, Sam Harnett, certainly not similar to the protections and benefits of employees, which AB5 required those companies to reclassify their workers as. Yeah, go right ahead. Right. I mean,
2: I think a good way to look at the benefit package is basically a watered down version of what you get as an employee. I mean, they basically matched... Uh, a bunch of different categories. So instead of health insurance as an employee, you get healthcare subsidies. Instead of workers' compensation, you get the option to buy insurance on the job. Instead of minimum wage, you get uh, this wage guarantee that Ellen was talking about, which is 120% of minimum wage, which sounds really great. And I think a lot of voters looked at that and said, oh, 120% of minimum wage is better than being an employee. But as Ellen explained, it is only for engaged driving time. And a lot of time you spend doing gig work is time waiting for a gig. And if you actually crunch the numbers, Um, as some researchers did at UC Berkeley, you find that that wage guarantee was actually well below minimum wage. Um, And and something both you and Ellen were saying is that this, that Prop 22 allows gig companies to continue classifying their workers as contractors, and that's not quite right. What it actually does is create a new worker category. It's kind of a new sub-employee worker category um, that didn't exist before Prop 22. So now we have employees that have benefits and protections. We have independent contractors, which are totally free and disconnected from from the employee or the employer. And now we have this going to have this third category this kind of sub-employee gig worker
0: yeah i guess you're right i mean it certainly exempts them from ab5 the state law and does as it has been described even by uber as this sort of third way though that was used uh, to mean other things just remind me sam though how far this reaches because is it only I, this is often a question that we get it applies to these app-based delivery companies none right. others Mm -hmm.
2: So Prop 22 was written to apply just for app-based transportation and delivery. And really, you know, the five companies that that were behind Prop 22, uh, Uber, Postmates, Instacort, DoorDash, and Lyft, uh, they wrote this proposition for themselves. It was written to exempt them from uh, state labor law.
0: So, Ellen, you had... Why do you think it won here in California, known for being a very liberal state? Though this has been very much viewed, of course, as an anti-labor proposition.
1: Um, great question. There's a lot of there's a lot of ways to try to answer that. I think one possible major explanation is is just that these companies, you know, Uber, Lyft, and um, DoorDash uh, spent the most money, and then um, Instacart and Postmates spent um, a little bit less. Postmates also, during the process of getting this. Uh, you know, during this campaign, Postmates was also acquired by Uber. So there's sort of some consolidation going on in those companies. Um, Those companies spent an unprecedented amount of money on this campaign, right? Over $200 million, which makes it the costliest ballot measure campaign in state history. And they outspent the no on 22 side by, you know, a, a ratio of 10 to 1, right? So they just had a lot more firepower in terms of getting the word out about, What the benefits of Prop 22 might be, um, you know, reaching all kinds of voters um, in an election where they knew they were going to have a lot of people voting as well. So I think, you know, one one possibility is that they just had much stronger resources than the no side. Um, You know, another possibility is that they maybe their message did resonate better with voters than than no. You know, I think the yes on 22 side focused very strongly on the idea of flexibility and independence Um, sort of choosing your own schedule Um, you know they they had a lot of messages that said you know this will allow drivers to maintain flexibility allow drivers to you know set their own hours Um, you know we we can get into the weeds if you'd like about whether flexibility is something that is only available to independent contractors there's a lot of people who disagree with that but that was a message that was very strongly put out and I think flexibility resonates very strongly with average um, Californians who think yeah you know People should have the the right to make free choices about how they work.
0: And, uh, you know, speaking of messaging, Sam Harnett, I mean, what Ellen Hewitt is saying also is that the, the Prop 22 messaging, both on the yes and no side, sounded somewhat remarkably similar to a certain extent in terms of why it would be good for drivers and how it would be good for drivers and what drivers really wanted. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the messaging and how it was somewhat confusing?
2: Sure. I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about. I mean, first, I just want to follow up on what Ellen was saying. I also think the Yes on Prop 22 campaign very cleverly um, centered their campaign around social justice. Uh, If you looked at all their advertising featured black and brown people or a majority of it uh, featured black and brown people. um, They uh, paid money to get endorsements from, from local NAACP chapters. Um, they really pushed the social justice messaging to kind of reach out to to progressive Californians. Um, And I think part of the reason they did that is because Californians wanted to do something that was good for workers, and they had to fight a a battle with the no side uh, to prove that, that voting for Prop 22 was going to be better for workers, but they were fighting with organized unions, which again, gets to a whole kind of contradiction in this entire battle. I mean, basically, you know, the yes side, which won, was arguing that the unions on the no side were actually trying to hurt workers. And um, so it really does get kind of complex and complicated. Um, yes. Another thing in the in in the campaign is is uh, that they had unprecedented connection to voters. I mean, they used their apps extremely aggressively. To to message voters, I mean, they had millions of apps and millions of pockets. Um, They were putting pop-ups for consumers and uh, workers, uh, telling them, as Ellen said, that this was the only way to guarantee their flexibility. So that was totally unprecedented. You know, just being able to connect to so many drivers and so many consumers uh, through apps, which I think, you know, played a big role in, in in allowing them to get that message out and to convince voters that, hey, the unions are wrong. Unions are on the wrong side and that actually us tech companies are going to help out the workers.
0: We're talking with Sam Harnett, Silicon Valley reporter for KQED and Ellen Hewitt, a startup reporter for Bloomberg. And we want to hear from you. What do you think of the passage of Proposition 22? What do you think about the impact that it will have? Did you vote for it and now you're wondering if you made the right decision or did you not vote for it and now uh, wish you are glad to hear that it passed? Give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at KQED.org. This listener writes, I'm surprised that Prop 22 passed. It's clear to me that millions were spent by tech investors to create another subclass of workers without basic employment rights and benefits. This is more progress towards a greater divide between the rich and the vast majority of us. Speaking of divides, Ellen Hewitt, one of the things that seemed to emerge was it seemed like drivers who tended to use um, Uber, Lyft or these other platforms, DoorDash or Instacart, as supplemental income supported Prop 22 more than the workers who tended to rely on it as their primary source of income, as a full-time job. Do you think that that's true?
1: Yeah, I I think this is a really interesting um, uh, division in the in the gig economy workforce to pay attention to. If if you're an observer, I I spoke with this um, professor Juliet Shore who works at Boston College, and she has done a lot of studies about drivers and found that in exactly what you're saying. Those who rely on gig work as a primary source of income tend to have a different relationship to the the job than those who use it as supplemental income. So she found those who use it as supplemental income you know, often they have benefits coming maybe from a spouse or a family member or a different job. And they're in some ways allowed to be more selective about the times that they work. Um, They're allowed to maybe look for work during the more lucrative hours and stay away during the hours when they're not going to get as good a deal on their time. And then those who are relying on it for primary income tend to have a more desperate relationship to the job. Maybe they they don't have other options, you know, for various reasons. And maybe they don't have other benefits coming from them. And for this reason, she has this, this great term that that I like. Um, You know, this all comes from her, to be clear. But she calls it the parasite economy because she finds that these companies, um, you know, have a more robust workforce when their workers are getting benefits from somewhere else. So she sees Uber and Lyft and other similar companies as sort of sucking off of the benefits of other companies. And so, and 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 as she also pointed out to me that this subgroup of drivers and workers who are relying on these types of jobs for their primary income has grown as a percentage of the workforce mm-hmm. over, over the past few years. So there, there is this shift happening and, and it is an interesting way to think about what different subgroups of workers might want and why they might want different things. I think, as you mentioned, we saw some workers seem to think that Maintaining the flexibility of 22 um, that Prop 22 offered them was something they really wanted and they would be advocating for it. And then you would hear drivers on the other side saying, no, you know, we've seen our wages on these um, apps drop over the years. We need to push for AB5. We need to have stronger protections, better wage.
0: Well, this listener writes, long before ride sharing decimated the taxi cab industry, I made a very comfortable I made it very comfortable as a W-2 paid taxicab employee working a flexible schedule. Threatening to take away flexibility was nothing more than a scare tactic, so the ride-sharing company can continue to make huge profits at driver's expense. Let me go to Becca in Berkeley. Hi, Becca. Join us.
3: Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So I'm about as left as you can get, um, but I, I've been uh, working on and very active in fighting to repeal AB5, um, because there has been no rollout like cannabis got five years, exorbitant, you know, twenty-five thousand uh, dollar f- cost for for one uh, one going against the law, and you can't get help from CPAs. And you know, I agree that large businesses and corporations should protect their workers, and even small businesses if they're given the time to prepare for that. I myself have a small business, but I'm also a union member in one of the actors' union. And in our community of people, totally bipartisan, you know, there's folks who are unhoused and in food lines now because of AB5 and because they had no time to adjust and then add COVID, you know. So yeah. it's hard to stomach that 200 million, you know, Uber and Lyft situation. You know, I don't I've never bought anything on Amazon my whole life. Like, I'm definitely pretty strict about that. But if Prop 22 is the state's only hope, the people's only hope fighting against us for our livelihood freedom to, you know, have the conversation still in there about repealing AB5 and the dangers of the PRO Act passing nationally. So the seventh, eighth majority that now we have to get in the House and the Assembly to even, you know, move this prop is the only way that we've been able to keep Lorena Gonzalez and the unions, which are supporting the Democrats, the supermajority, I think a power grab myself, and the unilateral um, strength that now the speakers of both the Assembly and the House can keep everything off the floor. 35 amendments to AB5, none of them have been heard. Becca, you know, so I just want to comment on that Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, well, you raise a lot of interesting points. And I mean, Sam Harnett, first of all, what do you think about what she's saying, essentially, to to some degree that the that the victory of prop twenty two is in part because it was a referendum on a b five.
2: I think I mean, you have to go back to what Ellen was saying. Most of the people doing the work for gig companies are people of color working full time or in a second uh, doing it as a second uh, job. Um, people who are upset about um, you know, contracting or maybe losing contract flexibility. Uh, Again, there's a lot of confusion in that. I mean, as the caller said, if she has her own business, if she's running her own business and contracting with people, AB5 probably wouldn't have affected her that much. Um, You know, and there were amendments to AB5, and there was a kind of a a bit of messiness when it first came out. But a lot of the complaints weren't coming from the bulk of people uh, who were being you know, doing the work on, the, on these uh, gig platforms and felt like they had no control. And I think there's a lot of confusion in general about um, employee versus contractor status. And Ellen kind of hinted at, at this, this issue over what is flexible and what is not. Um, and I do think that the Yes on Prop 22 campaign, for instance, did a very good job of convincing people that flexibility is only tied to contractor status and not to being an employee. And really, if you you know living in the Bay Area, if you look at the tech industry, there's tons of employees who have lots and lots of flexibility, and they work when they want, uh, and they don't work when they don't have to. And there's a lot of contractors, especially Uber and Lyft drivers, uh, if they want to make a living, they've got to work all the time. They don't have a lot of control over when they work. Um, so so yeah, again, there's a lot of disinformation around that whole idea of flexibility, uh, and and what you get as a contractor as an employee.
0: That said, though. Um... Definitely, Ellen Hewitt, there were conversations about I wonder if the legislature is now regretting that they weren't willing to have a little more of a conversation or a negotiation with these big gig companies with Uber, Lyft and the like, uh, so that they didn't end up with this kind of situation like a Prop 22 where they're left, as Becca was pointing out, also with a situation where they have to get a seven eighths majority if they want to make any changes to it.
1: Right. Well, I think there's two things here. Um, one, it does seem like for those who were following AB five, like I'm, it's it's unclear to me what's really left of AB five that that is in line with the original intention of the of of the um, the legislation. So it, it's unclear to me, you know, what what the original um, authors of the of the legislation might want to do now that Prop 22 has passed um, separately, since it has come up, I, I do want to address the seven eighths majority thing. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is, you know, that um, fraction got a lot of attention, but I, I often hear people misunderstanding what it's actually describing. So the seven eighths majority is actually just describing um, the legislative uh vote you'd have to get in order to make basically small amendments to um to the proposition but not to overturn it or or change it in any significant way Um, that's because you know in california when you pass something by a voter initiative the only way to overturn it or change it in significant ways to have another um ballot measure um to have the voters vote on it again it's 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 um sort of sacred in the sense that uh you know once the voters approve it only the voters can change it significantly. Um, But the seven eighths got a lot of attention when Prop 22, um, you know, when the election was coming up, because it is a higher fraction than most propositions that allow for a legislative amendment, like most of them ask for two thirds or something like that. Um, But some uh, ballot measures do not allow for a legislative amendment at all. But keep in mind, like the amendments we're talking about here are not significant. So it's really like if you wanted to Change Prop 22 or overturn it, you'd you'd have to go back to voters again and have another referendum. Mm-hmm. And now maybe
2: I can here. jump in here. because yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I, I interviewed a couple of political science professors, and they were saying that these bars are basically a threat to the legislature. They're basically saying we're passing this this proposition, and we uh, don't want you to change it in any significant way. Um, the 7A's bar was unprecedented, um, and uh, a lot. A lot of people were saying that the reason this bar was in there is because the proposition was written in such a way that its intent was to give benefits to workers. And gig companies didn't want uh, the legislature to increase those benefits beyond uh, what was in the problem.
0: Yes. And I mean, even the, the Yes on 22 side was saying that, you know, they didn't have to include it because as Ellen was saying, though, that, you know you, if you want to change a ballot measure, you have to overturn it again at the ballot box. So there were a lot of interesting arguments around the seven-eighths requirement. We'll be talking more about the impact of Prop 22 after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the impact of California's Proposition 22, its victory at the ballot box with Sam Harnett, Silicon Valley reporter for KQED, and Ellen Hewitt, startups reporter for Bloomberg. And you, our listeners, are with us. Let us know your questions, comments, what you think of Prop 22's passage and its impact. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. This listener writes, passage of Prop 22 will no doubt do damage to increasing the national minimum wage. Instead of getting fair wages, the implication will be to work a gig job without benefits. Uh, Sam Harnett, I mean, that's one of the impacts that that people are concerned about. The other is, especially in labor, that basically the proposition has given a blueprint to gig companies to pursue this kind of new classification, expanded in the state of California and have it expand to other states. Can you talk about the broader implications of Proposition 22 and what impact it could have nationwide?
2: Sure. So since the beginning, the gig companies have have been arguing that they don't have workers, they have independent entrepreneurs who are running their own businesses. That, that's the argument. So when you go to the grocery store and you see the Instacart uh, folks, you know, shopping or you get into a Lyft or an Uber, you see that driver or you see a DoorDash worker delivering food. The argument is that these aren't workers. These are uh, entrepreneurs who own their own businesses. And again, Prop 22 creates a worker category that sort of codifies that argument into law. And this was seen as the big fight. I mean, you were saying, you know, is the legislature in California maybe uh, being upset that they didn't work out a deal with gig companies, but gig companies have have been charting this own path and, and ignoring regulators since the beginning. You know, it's been eight years that they've been on this path. Um, and yeah, this in California, this is seen as the big battle like Ken Ken. California regulators actually rein these companies in and make them classify their workers as employees and that this, the loss of Prop 22 is, is expected to have a big chilling effect. I mean, there are a couple states that were pursuing laws like AB5. Um, Illinois uh, was looking at a similar law, New York. Um, so there's a, a, an expectation now that, again, there'll be a chilling effect on that. Um, and there already has been lobbying at, at, at uh, the federal level to get something like this, this sub-employee gig worker category put into federal law. Um, a bunch of uh, old Obama people, uh, you know, Alan Kruger, uh, who's a former economic advisor to Obama, he'd been pushing for it in 2015. Uh, the Trump administration, uh, right before the election, they had a rule change in the Department of Labor that would make it easier to classify gig workers as contractors. And the big worry, of course, is that um, if this third way does get written into federal law, that like more and more corporations will look to exploit it. And this is what's happened with the contractor status in general. Um, if you look at most many contractors in America, these aren't people who cho- chose to be contractors to have their own independent businesses. These are people who uh, the people who their employer was saying, this is the way you get the job. You have to be a contractor. So we don't have to pay for your benefits. So the worry is we we're, if this third way is created, uh, corporations are going to figure out ways to exploit it. You know, you're going to have, <laughs> warehouse companies coming up with apps to, to, to make their warehouse employees contractors. You might see it in hospitals with nurses. I mean, this is this is the big fear from labor, that this will be the future of work, that the majority of jobs will be, be handled through apps, uh, and people won't be given, you know, the basic protections, which, remember, in America, the only way to get basic protections is to be an employee. Otherwise, you don't have health insurance, you don't have, uh, you know, uh, you aren't guaranteed minimum wage, et cetera.
0: Well, let me go next to caller Bo in Davis. Hi, Bo hey how are you great what's on your mind
4: well you know I, i'm a gig worker myself and uh you know I, I was definitely a no on 22 and i just think that it's kind of sad that uh the californian voters uh, essentially you know didn't follow the money and they've decided that it's okay for you know uh corporations like like these to make the rules and set the, the standards where they want to and i think uh your comments are absolutely 100% right. I think that labor is scared. I mean, what's going to stop, uh, you know, other corporations like Walmart from saying, that? oh, you know what, we're just going to call our, you know, you know, our employees. We don't want them to be employees anymore. We'd like to just, you know, call them independent contractors. So, yeah, you know, I just think it's really sad. And uh, I do this simply because of the fact that, uh, you know, like many people, we're putting into situations in life, such as myself, with two, thank you, I have well, two uh, kids with, uh, you know, A genetic disorder, and I can't get. uh, I can't. You know, someone has to watch them for part time for a bit. So that's that's the issue. Anyway, thank you.
0: Yeah, well, both, thanks for, for sharing a little bit more of your story and your perspective. We're getting a lot. I mean, Donna writes, I'm disappointed in the company's not supporting workers. We have to create better opportunities with paid jobs for all. Steven tweets, Pop 22 is a bad company-centric law that sets a terrible precedent for current and future gig workers. Robin writes, I asked many drivers how they wanted me to vote, and they all said to vote yes. Their reasoning was that they want to be able to work for more than one service, as your guest mentioned. I wonder if they were worried about losing their jobs. And Kurt writes, a big reason I voted for Prop 22 is the fear that Uber and Lyft would go out of business. I know so many immigrant workers that really rely on this gig work and the fear of this type of work going away swayed my vote. Ellen Hewitt, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, certainly we were hearing these companies threatened to leave California, shut down. They were saying that they certainly couldn't afford the kinds of benefits and protections that AB5 was requiring.
1: Right. Well, they they have a point. I mean, so first of all, yes, they did threaten to leave the state. Both Uber and Lyft threatened, I believe, in August, um, to pull out of you know pull business out of the state entirely if they didn't win. It was a particular appeals in in one of the lawsuits that's going on related to AB five. Um, but I think that loomed large on everyone's imagination when they thought, okay, if we vote down Prop twenty two, does that mean these services will pull out of the state? Um, and of course, we can't know whether that would have actually happened. My guess is probably not. Like they would have continued to try to push for a regulatory path forward that that suited them, um, rather than than pull out of what is a, a very large and lucrative economy for them. Um, but in terms of you know what it was costing these companies and what it would cost them um, if they had to comply with AB five, um, I hear this. I heard this coming up a lot in the discussion around Prop twenty two. People would ask, you know. Uber and Lyft and Instacart and all these companies—they've spent 200 million dollars to pass this proposition. Why didn't they just spend that money giving benefits to workers? Um, well, you can look at various um, analyses on how much complying with AB5 would cost them. There's one from Morgan Stanley that says that, you know, if these companies had to comply with AB5, it would probably cost them around 100 million dollars a year. So, if you're sitting in—and um, that's 100 million dollars per company, by the way, as opposed to 200 million dollars total. Um, for this one-time effort to um, basically carve them out of AB5. So it makes sense from a financial perspective that they would pursue trying to get this um, ballot initiative passed um, rather than complying with the law. And the benefits that they now have to provide under Prop 22 are much less costly to the companies. The this, this same estimate from Morgan Stanley says that it would have cost them, you know, around 15 to $25 million a year for, per company. So, yeah. so you look at that and you understand why they made that decision.
0: Yes, but you're right. We do certainly hear that. I mean, Olivia, for example, tweets, how could Uber, Lyft and others possibly afford the marketing they paid for on POP 22 and still claim they can't afford to comply with state laws? And you're talking about just the relative cost that they were seeing <laughs> through and supporting it at such a high level. You yes, Sam
2: Oh, I say you've already seen their stocks go through the roof. I yes, mean, how many have. billions of dollars have Uber and Lyft investors made already just on Prop 22? It dwarfs the 200 million that they spend. And I think it's important to remember that these companies call themselves tech companies, but they aren't uh, their, their primary product is not technology by a far, long shot. I mean, these are apps on phones. Uh, the real innovation of these companies uh, was their worker classification scheme and was their, uh, uh, was their refusal to comply with local taxi laws. That's how Uber and Lyft got off the ground, and that's why VCs put so much money in. It wasn't because they had some fancy new technology. Again, you know, they're using GPS and smartphones. GPS is 40, 50 years old, and smartphones were several years old when they came out, and neither company developed them. So, again, uh, their classification scheme and their unwillingness to, compo- to comply with local taxi laws has been the heart of their business, and that's, that's what brought the money. So it's no, it's no surprise that they protected it uh, tooth and claw.
0: Let me go to Nick in San Rafael. Hi, Nick.
5: Hi there. I uh, voted to uh, allow workers to you know, choose to stay independent. I voted 422. And I did it with mixed emotions because I, I just fundamentally believe that 85 is bad law. I think that it's um, it, the most charitable description is that it. Uh, It has so many carve-outs for anybody who had friends in Sacramento that it doesn't really have any teeth. But the practical effect has been really devastating to a lot of my friends. I'm over 40, and I work in marketing. And if you're over 40 and you're in marketing, you're probably a freelancer. And if you live in California as a freelancer, you didn't get any work this year, and it's been a bad year for everybody. So I felt not, why should these Uber drivers... um, be allowed to be independent. I thought, why can't everyone? And it really frustrated me the way that the, the conversation has been framed as these big bag tech companies are trying to get away with it. When I feel that the reality is it's so hard to do business in California. And trust me, it's easy to hire freelancers and contractors in other states. My my downside of 22 passing is now there's no muscle to fight AB5 in Sacramento. And if you don't have friends up there, Who's going to lobby for your carve-out? It's a, it's a classic story of unintended consequences from posturing politicians and I'm really, really concerned about what's going to happen to my friends who who don't have the money to run a a Prop 23 for themselves.
0: Nick, thanks for sharing that. And I mean, as to what Nick is saying, Bill writes now that the targets of AB5 have escaped, what are the prospects of repealing the thing to help all the people who were collateral damage? Paula tweets, can you please address what impacts Prop 22 will have for all the other non-ride sharing companies and nonprofits that have historically hired independent contractors? Are we stuck with AB5? That was meant to police the ride sharing companies? Ellen, you had your thoughts uh, on this? I mean,
1: I, I think what these people are 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 discussing is is quite valid. It it, you know, um, some of the major criticisms around AB5 from the beginning were that it was this, you know, in this this um, legislation targeted at these big companies that then had these unintended ripple effects that that hurt all these other businesses and in, in 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 its wake and then yeah, now that we've seen all these carve outs, including via Prop 22, the, the biggest and most significant one, what's left and, and how, you know, I, I know that at this point, probably a year, year and a half ago, like when this was all shaping up, there were discussions about, you know, can there be some sort of compromise, instead of going forward with, with AB5, which then prompted, um, you know, Prop 22, it, it does feel like if you're, if you're someone who's caught in the wake of This, but you're not a, a rideshare driver or 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 ride hail driver or delivery person. You're stuck thinking like, did did we have to be wrapped up in this at all?
2: And I, I, I do think though you gotta you gotta look at the longer history. I mean, I listen to Nick and I think, huh, he's working as a marketer and he's a freelancer. How come he isn't an employee with employee benefits and protections? I mean, the the longer history here is that the independent contractor model was used to undermine employees in traditional uh, you know, white-collar jobs across America over the last decades. Uh, You know, and the same thing is true in journalism. A lot of, you know, a lot of journalists who are working as freelancers were upset with AB5 when it first came out, but also the employee jobs in journalism have been undermined by contract jobs. So, again, the history is a lot longer, a lot more complicated, and a lot of people who are upset about AB5 are suffering from uh, the undermining of American workers that has been happening for decades in this country.
1: Yeah. And actually, if I could add one quick thing, Sam is also totally right that um, I think because Prop 22 got so much attention, some people may not have followed the years and years and years long history of Uber and Lyft um, choosing to sort of move forward business wise in their own path, despite existing regulations. You know, this is how they moved into cities across the U.S. and around the world. As early as 2014, 2015, this was kind of part of their playbook. So in some sense, people are surprised that that they pushed forward with this plan um, to, you know, not complying with AB5, getting Prop 22 passed. But actually, if you've followed these companies for a long time, it's it's not surprising at all.
0: Well, we're talking about Proposition 22 with Sam Harnett, Silicon Valley reporter for KQED, and Ellen Hewitt, a startups reporter for Bloomberg. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Lynn tweets, I voted against 22. It's a terrible precedent and it's bad for working people who need protections and guarantees in their employment. David writes, I don't see these apps as a primary source of income. They were set up to be a means of connecting people who would like to make extra money with people who have a need for their services. Creating an app for that purpose should not force you to employ those who use the app as it was never the intent. And Lewis tweets, as a driver, I voted for it in part for the flexibility, but also I questioned the degree of protection it would grant me. Driving in multiple counties, what minimum wage would apply, health benefits such as those given to Walmart employees. So lots of of interesting and complicated questions around this. You know, Sam Hartnett. at that point that David's making about, I don't see these apps as a primary source of income. I mean, that was one thing that did make it a little bit hard on the no side, right? Because there were people who were like, well, you don't, y- you know, you don't have to do this job, basically.
2: Right. Well, unfortunately, in America, there aren't many jobs, and it's really hard just to get by. So, you know, yeah, Uber and Lyft kind of have, have, On the one hand, the gig companies have have characterized themselves as as allowing people to uh, do entrepreneurship and create their own jobs or be their own bosses. And on the other hand, they've said, okay, this is just a way to get supplementary income. But what we do know is these companies came out of the ashes of the recession. People were were so desperate and had, had lost good jobs and needed any way to make income. And for many, many people, a majority of the people on these platforms, it is either a primary source of income or a necessary secondary source of income. Um, and this gets to another whole real problem in this whole debate, which is like trying to understand what gig workers want. Um, and again, a majority of the work is done by people of color working full time. And a lot of the surveys about what workers want, they surveyed, you know, the broad cross section, which included a lot of people who were only working a couple hours on these apps or maybe hadn't worked on the app in a year and their vote or their say was being counted the same as somebody who's working 40, 50, 60 hours on this app. So I don't, you know, all the surveys that were coming through about what drivers want, I wouldn't trust really any of them. I mean, as Ellen pointed out, uh, Julia Shore, uh, that the professor she was mentioning, I interviewed her as well. And she said, you know, the the way to really understand what's going on is to spend time with these people and, and ask them questions and learn about their life. And when you do, you realize a lot of them, again, are are really just sort of desperate for good work.
0: Let me go to Kieran in Milpitas. Hi, Kieran. I think we lost Kieran there. Let me go to Elizabeth in Dublin. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Um,
6: You know, I'm an attorney, and I think the fallout from um, AB5 goes much farther. I have a number of um, clients who... um, have had huge, you know, half a million dollar um, legal bills, you know, dealing with AB5. And I think that the bottom line is that until the legislature or the state fix the issue with health care and um, disability, if we had universal health care and some sort of disability, we may not have this issue. And people could work as independent contractors.
0: So I think we're trying to fix
6: um, a problem, um, fix the
0: symptoms and not
6: the real problem.
0: Elizabeth, thanks for sharing that. Let me go to Tim in Los Angeles. Hi, Tim.
6: Hi, good morning. I hope I can explain this idea clearly. Um, but what this um, prop highlights is the amount of money that is going into our, elect- into our, uh, into our elections by large corporations. Now, a lot of people, almost all people that I talk to don't know that corporations are considered people under the law. So what that allows them is access to our elections and access to um, spend as much money on elections as they want to. If we really want to get at the root cause and change the way that, these, that our elections are taking place, we have to change corporations being, being considered people. And that would also stop them from bringing these uh, props uh, to, to the ballot, because if we regulate them as businesses and not as people, then they can't do this. And just in a final note, the, what, I, what will kind of solidify this for people is um, uh, PG&E is considered a felon under the law considered a person. It was supposed to be locked up, but you can't lock up a corporation. And nobody on the board of directors went to jail for all of the crimes that they committed.
0: Tim, I'm going to have to interrupt you there, but I, I think we get your point and I appreciate you bringing that in and also appreciate having Sam Harnett from KQED with us and also Ellen Hewitt to talk about the ongoing impact of Proposition 22. Well, it's here now. And so we will have to see how this Plays out. Thanks to both of you for giving us your perspectives and for your reporting. Thanks also to our listeners for their questions and comments and Blanca Torres for producing this segment. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum
6: are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.